I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. In today's podcast, we're back with The Leftovers as we dive into the second episode of Season 2, A Matter of Geography. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I'm wondering if I have to confess something crazy here on Big Squid. Thank you for joining me today as we really start to get into this new season of The Leftovers where things are becoming more intriguing than normal. As always, if you'd like to share your thoughts with me and the rest of the gang watching the series, head over to Facebook. You can join our private page where you can chat without fear of spoilers. And actually, we're also starting to discuss who we're going to do the deep dive on next after we finished the Sofia Coppola movie. So if you have some thoughts, now is the time to let us know. Ben and I have uh, a number of people and artists, I guess, that we would like to cover. And we have a few thoughts on where we might go. But what I'm saying is now is the time to come in and give us your hot take, you know. Push us in a direction. That's what you can do. Your suggestion might be the one that makes us go, you know what, let's do that. I'm not going to say even what that might be. I don't want to influence you in any way. Or maybe I just want you to make all your suggestions and then do something completely the opposite just to be tedious. Or it's not tedious. I don't think anyone guessed Sophia Coppola when we uh, did our competition. Remember that? We did the comp where you could win shit off my desk. We'll do another comp, actually. We'll do that. That was fun. But uh, Sophia Coppola was not suggested for uh, a long time. Actually, you know what? There wasn't even a female director mentioned for a long time. And that was one of the reasons that we... uh, were leaning in that direction in the first place. So, you know, think outside of the box. 
There's been some good suggestions over there so far. Actually, a lot of good suggestions. Actually, there hasn't been a bad suggestion. I reckon Ben and I will have to do this podcast forever to cover all of your suggestions. But, you know, that's good. I like doing it. Why wouldn't I want to be here? Okay. You know what? I just want to get into this episode. I love this one a lot. It has one of my favorite scenes in anything, and I'm keen to discuss it. Today's episode of The Leftovers is called A Matter of Geography. You want to get out of here? Jill, honey, we're here. Welcome to Miracle. Hey, are you the new neighbors? Uh huh. I can help you with your situation. This was not what it was supposed to be. There's a body in the back of my truck. We begin back at the end of the previous season when Nora finds the baby on the veranda of the Garvey's house. Look what I found, she says. Inside, Kevin, Nora and Jill pamper the child and Jill asks if they're going to keep her. Kevin asks Nora if she would like to stay with them and Nora answers that her luggage is in her car. Kevin nods and then points out that they don't really know each other and confesses that he walks in his sleep. He thinks it's a good idea to be honest. He thought it was the medication that was making him walk in his sleep, so he threw it out. But that didn't stop him from blacking out, abducting Patty, and taking her to a place where she could eventually commit suicide. And then with the help of Nora's brother, Matt, they buried her body. I also smoke, says Kevin. Nora admits that she pays prostitutes to come to her home and shoot her with a gun. She apologises to Jill for lying about the gun that time that she went over for dinner and she will never lie to her again. It's okay, Jill says. Do I have to confess to something crazy now? Nora looks at Kevin, relieved, emotional. It's okay, she repeats. It's okay. We jump ahead two months later. Kevin is at the laundromat with the baby. His earpods blaring with music. He receives a call from Nora. He's late for an appointment with the adoption agency. He sees white shirts and immediately thinks of the place he used to frequent when he's been blacked out. He rushes to meet Nora and he's flustered. She calms him down and they head inside to adopt the baby. How many times in the last few months has Nora calmed Kevin down? They've decided to name the baby Lily and they want to raise her together. Kevin tells the agency that they won't break up as they answer question after question for this application. They're told they can keep Lily and are asked if they would like to adopt another baby. They decline. This is now their family. A look crosses Kevin's face. And now we're with Kevin at the burnt-out husk of the buildings of the guilty remnant. Just looking, lost in his own thoughts. And now we're back at Kevin's home as he attempts to fix the washing machine. He's frustrated, he can't get it to work, and he heads to the hardware store to buy tools to help him finish the job. While there, he sees a shovel and instinctively buys it, jumps in his car with his music blaring, and drives out to the forest and digs up the body of Paddy. Later, he is driving back to Mapleton when he sees a police car pull out in front of him. Kevin deliberately drives provocatively to get the attention of the cop who dutifully pulls him over. Kevin immediately confesses. 
There's a body in the back of my truck. Nora and Jewel play with Lily and then Jewel heads out to meet up with a friend. That friend is her brother. She tells Tom that Kevin and Nora adopted Lily and suggests he come around to let them know he's okay. Tom doesn't want to know that the baby came from him and he also doesn't want them to know that he's okay because nobody is okay. Jewel tears up. She declares that she is okay and so are Kevin and Nora. He pushes over a note to her from her mother, Laurie, but Jewel tears it up and pushes it back. Tom gently pushes it one more time to Jewel's side and then leaves. Jewel watches Tom get in his car and drive off, revealing that a passenger in the car is Laurie. Jewel locks eyes with her mother, everything and nothing passing between them. A shared look that means so much and so little. Nora receives a phone call about her home being sold. She heads there and has a conversation with the buyers, people who work for an institution who are doing work into what happened on the day of the sudden departure. They're offering Nora $2.7 million for a house that was listed at 600000 What is this, Sydney? They believe that the departure is all about geography and they think that if Nora had been at her table with her family, there's a possibility they would have disappeared as well. Why are they looking into this? Because they want to know as much as possible in case it happens again. Nora is silent. She's never contemplated that it might happen again. Meanwhile, Kevin is at the police station being asked many questions by a policewoman wearing a patch over one of her eyes. Do you want to ask me about the patch, she asks. No, Kevin says. She continues asking questions and brings up Kevin's record of being the police chief and why he quit the force. Kevin is confused by the questioning. It turns out the policewoman has no love for Paddy, the guilty remnant, or what they did in Mapleton. She decides that she's going to send Kevin home. At first he pushes back against this idea. Do you want to blow your life up, she asks Kevin. No, he replies. Then go home, Kevin Garvey. Kevin gets into the car by himself. But when we look, we suddenly realise Kevin isn't alone. Sitting in the passenger seat is Paddy. What the fuck was that, she asked before Kevin angrily pulls out of the car park. He returns home to find his father waiting for him. He's been discharged from the psychiatric ward. Both Kevins are tetchy with each other, feeling each other out. They go for a walk and Kevin tells his father that he appears to be normal. Kevin Sr. confesses that he still hears voices and now he just does what they tell him to do. He has a mission now. He looks at Mapleton and all he sees is what the town lost. Some people think the world ended on the day of the sudden departure. Kevin Senior is now going to travel to Australia because he's going to start the world up again. At dinner that night, Kevin again is lost in thought and he suddenly has an idea. Do you want to get out of here? He asks Jill and Nora. And so it begins, the journey to Miracle. Out the front of the town, people are camped, begging for the wrist bracelets that will let them in. A whole new community has sprung up on the outskirts of this city, a melting pot of people looking for answers. Kevin is allowed to drive in but has to leave his dog in quarantine. While Jill and Nora go ahead, Kevin argues about leaving the dog behind but in the end he's convinced that he has to leave it there and while he says goodbye, Paddy leans over his shoulder and tells him he'll keep the dog company. Maybe the dog will even reply to her, unlike Kevin who refuses to talk. Inside the welcome centre, Kevin moves through the people looking for Nora and Jill. An older black man approaches Kevin. It is the man that Michael rode his bike to in the previous episode and asked him if he would like to pray. He tells Kevin, 
I can help you with your situation. Kevin shakes him off, wondering what this strange man means by this. He finds Nora furious, dealing with an official. Kevin has a temper, but so does Nora. It turns out their house was burned down and now they have nowhere to go. Kevin tries to calm Nora and talk to the official, but Jill pipes in to tell her dad that Nora has decided to attend an auction. Kevin follows her inside and finds her in a furious bidding war for a house on the market. It is the only one available and is the first one in months to go up for auction. She bids all the money she made from the sale of her home, much to Kevin's chagrin. Nora is pleased with herself and they drive through the city centre, spying the man at the top of the tower and the residents who calmly live their lives. They visit Matt and Mary and since his place is small, they pitch a tent in the yard and sleep there that night. Nora and Jill are dead to the world, but Kevin is wide awake, looking through the hole at the top of the tent, seeing the slight shifts of the sky and feeling the secret pressure of the universe pushing down on him. He slips his earpods in, turns up the music and drowns out the secret sounds of the world. The next day, they drive to their new home. As they walk in, Kevin waves to his new neighbour, John Murphy, who eyes them suspiciously. But he returns the wave. They enter the house and it is a mess and needs a lot of work. Alone in the kitchen, Kevin tries to light a cigarette from the oven, but the gas won't turn on. He hits it once, twice, and then eventually he tries it again, and a big flame shoots out, nearly burning Kevin. He leans down to light the cigarette, and his head is violently shoved into the stove. It is Patty, and she wants his attention. Nora and Jill run down to see what the commotion is, and Kevin says he slipped on some water. There's a knock at the door. It is John bringing over the pie and inviting them over for his birthday. We jump to the party where we see Evie have her epileptic fit and drop the cake. Nora suggests Kevin go back and get the pie, and while he's in the house alone, Paddy is there waiting for him. She tells him the Murphys are an interesting family. Are you part of their story, or are they part of yours? She asks Kevin. After they leave the Murphy house, they return home and the light bulb explodes when the lights are turned on. Kevin explodes into a rage. He's angry that Nora bought the house unseen, that it was only meant to be a six-month sabbatical, that it will require a lot of work, and Nora walks away from him while he deals with his rage. Jill explains to Kevin that Nora needs to be here to feel safe. It is obvious to her. It is also obvious what Kevin is beginning to do to this new relationship. Don't fuck it up, Jill says. Kevin walks upstairs and apologises to Nora. She graciously accepts and says, if you have anything to tell me, you can. I can deal with it. He chooses not to tell her about Patty and instead tells her that he loves her. That night, they lay in bed together and Nora sleeps peacefully, but Kevin's head is buzzing. He looks to the ceiling and eventually falls asleep, his thoughts unknown. Then we find Kevin waking up, gasping for air. He's at the bottom of the Jardin waterhole that we saw has lost all of its water. He tries to get up, but there's a granite brick tied to his foot. He has no idea how this has happened, and he has no idea how he's ended up in this place. Amongst the gasping fish covered in mud, he crawls to the top and finds the car that Evie and her friends drove to this place. He leans on the window with his hands cupping the glare and tries to look inside as music blares from the stereo. He sees another car approaching and he quickly runs back to hide in the shadows of the now dry waterhole. It is John and Michael looking for Evie. As John calls for his daughter, Paddy appears alongside Kevin and she looks at him and says, Uh-oh.
This episode contains one of my favourite scenes in any television show or movie. How often do you watch something and think if the characters only spoke to one another about what was really going on, they might make some headway? I understand why characters often don't speak honestly in fiction. If you take away the mystery or the secrets, then where does the conflict come from? Yet in this episode of The Leftovers, they do just that. Kevin confesses to Nora and Jill about his sleepwalking and smoking. Nora says, hold my beer, and casually drops that she hires prostitutes to shoot her. (laughs) These are the conflicts that normal shows would have their characters hiding for seasons on end after end after end. But here it is catharsis. They come straight out and say what they have to say. It is played beautifully by the actors, full of emotion and humour. I laughed out loud again when Jill asked if she needs to confess something crazy now. But out of the three of them, she's the one who has her shit together the most. This is perfect storytelling for two reasons. It isn't the end of their story. It is only the beginning. So by taking these things out of play, it means they can't rely on that to push the story forward. They have to come up with new things. They have to come up with new ideas. So I love that part of it. It also doesn't contradict what we've talked about so often before. Never betray the story's internal logic. In a TV series about people disappearing, you need the things that happen in real life to make sense and to be recognisable. Often, when we confess secrets, we don't tell the whole story. We'll confess to a certain extent whether the secret is important or not. It might just be an embarrassing story, but we still often cut parts out that still make our skin crawl. So, Kevin confesses, but he doesn't tell the whole truth. Before the sudden departure, he was afraid of being trapped in a life he didn't want. When we jump two months ahead, this is exactly where Kevin is again. He has his music blaring in his ears to drown out the world he finds himself in while he deals with the laundromat. And this is also the same laundromat from the pilot when the young mum's baby departed. This time, Kevin takes his crying baby to his car, gets in, the camera pans back, but there's Lily, still crying. This is Kevin's life now, and he is trapped yet again. When Kevin finally arrives at the adoption agency, he's flustered, a mess, that borderline anger that can turn in any direction at any given moment. Yet Nora recognises it and calms him. And as I said before, how many times in the last two months has Nora had to do this? Why aren't they just one relaxed, happy family? Didn't their mutual confessions take all the angst out of their lives? Well, of course not. Confessions in relationships often don't lead to peace of mind. It is about being honest with your partner and them in turn with you to see if you can live together, move forward together. When you know someone's flaws and faults and still want to stay together, that's a strong relationship. That is love. I know any time I'm in a dating situation with someone and it has begun to turn serious... I have to explain to them my sleep apnea mouth guard that I sleep with every night... Like, it's such a pain in the ass to have to go through it and talk about it and kind of explain, oh, not only does it let me open my airways to breathe so I don't die in my sleep, it also allows me to grind without turning my teeth into dust. And (laughs) sorry, I forgot to put a warning up at the top of this podcast that shit might get a bit sexy. I apologise. I hope I'm not making you feel self-conscious out in public while you listen to this, getting all hot and flustered. Oh, what's... What are you listening to? You you seem to be all kind of pink in the cheeks. And it's like, oh, yeah, Hamo's talking about sleep apnea again. 
Look, the point I'm making is that my little mouth guard is nothing compared to the confessions that Nora and Kevin share. So it is nice to see two characters come out in the open and share this information. It is, in fact, one of the most romantic gestures in the show, especially for two characters who are constantly wrestling with their inner and outer lives. Because what does Nora just prize more than anything? It's honesty. And Kevin offers it. And that, that is romantic. In my book, anyway. Maybe this is why I'm single. (laughs) I love Kevin, but he's hard work. For a long time now, he's wanted to escape, but he doesn't know why. He doesn't even really know where he wants to escape to. I can relate to that. I can definitely relate to that. That is, that, you know, we've talked about my last few months in... Uh, well, my last few years in Melbourne, and I had that feeling as well. It was such a bizarre feeling to just wanting to escape and not really know where. It's changed a little bit. Now that I live here in Sydney, I actually really enjoy living in Sydney. But before COVID hit, I had an opportunity to travel overseas, and I had a moment of just not really knowing where I wanted to go. Like I had an opportunity to go anywhere and I could not, I could just not work it out. So I've gone from wanting to be away and be anywhere to having an opportunity to be anywhere and not knowing where to go. I can't, for the life of me, understand why Kevin Garvey appeals to me as a character, right? <laughs> ah, Kevin. But anyway. He wants to escape. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know where. Maybe it's as simple as fleeing the long shadow his father casts. You immediately see how the two men square off when they come into contact back at the house. Kevin Sr. is bristling with unbridled energy and testosterone. He also speaks to voices that aren't there. And he's always been a guy who has all the answers. Like, if, if he were my father, I'd be moving as far away as possible as well. When, when Kevin Senior declares he's listening to the voices and taking on their advice and that means he's going to restart the world in Australia, if I was Kevin Jr., I'd be wrapped. Toodle pip, I'll drive you to the airport. Kevin is constantly looking for escape. He's haunted by what he did to Paddy and it's reminded by a random collection of white shirts or rat traps with the slogan, kills every time. He impetuously drives to Cairo and digs up Paddy's body and when he sees the police car, he takes it as an opportunity to be caught. He can appease his guilt and if he's taken away, he can escape the life he believes he doesn't deserve. Maybe that's also why he wants to get away. He he doesn't believe he deserves this. And maybe this gets back to the way he's being brought up as well. Of course, he's thwarted by the police, uh, specifically the woman with the eye patch who can... By the way, I love that he has no interest in why she has an eye patch. It's a really funny moment for me. But, you know, the eye patch is also a signifier. She can only see one side of the situation. The leader of the guilty remnant is dead. She doesn't care about anything else. That's She's myopic. She just wants to see that. The, the patch maybe also speaks to mythology, where according to legend, the Cyclops had only one eye after making a deal with Hades, god of the underworld, in which they traded one eye for the ability to see the future and predict the day they would die. Odin also plucked one of his eyes out in a quest for wisdom, and maybe this policewoman in some way 
in this world that's mildly supernatural knows the future, that Kevin can blow up his world if he's not careful. Depending on your take in regards to the supernatural in this world, you can view this as either good advice, but maybe it's also prophecy. So Kevin is left to return to his life. He keeps attempting to escape, but now that he has physically dug up Patty and not paid for his crimes, he has now also dug her up spiritually, metaphorically, ghosty, and he will now be haunted by her taunts, either from the grave or in the deep recesses of his mind. In the end, he can't totally escape his life, but he can, at the very least, take his life elsewhere. This is good timing for Nora, who is looking like she is much happier than any time than we've known her, but there's still that prickly fire within. Nora needs honesty at all moments, so when the institution offers to buy a home for an exorbitant price, she needs to know why. She needs to understand. Sometimes questions can only lead to more information that is possibly not helpful in the long run. The idea that this could happen again is one that Nora has either never thought of or at least not thought about for a very long time. When Kevin suggests they move, and we've already seen the t-shirt that Matt has sent Lily from Miracle, it makes sense that is where they would travel. Now that Nora has a new family, the idea of losing this one is too much to bear. This is why she is quick to anger at the official who was too casual in his explanation of their original house being burned down. She will gladly and impetuously spend all of her money on this home because if this place Jarden is a miracle and the departure was all about geography, she needs to be there with the people she now loves. And don't underestimate Nora's temper. It's just as fiery and potent as Kevin's, maybe more so because she can focus hers and therefore make it more devastating. Jill really is the member of the family who has come out of the whole Mapleton showdown with the guilty remnant the most balanced. She's not without her anger. She shows us this with her lack of interest in her mother's words that Tommy tries to pass on to her. But she tries to encourage her brother back into the family and explains to her father that he's going to fuck things up again. She's grown up. She sees things differently. Like, even in the opening episode of this season, we saw her laugh off what could have been an insulting moment from Evie. And she's fine with Nora being referred to as her mother. You feel the moment Nora apologised about lying to Jill about the gun as the most important moment between the two women, whatever happens around them, they'll have that bond. They might not be related by blood, but they're mirror images in their need for clarity and honesty. With that in mind, the greatest betrayal in the episode is, of course, by Kevin. You might have thought that the most romantic thing he could do was be honest with Nora, but if you agree with that as an idea, then when Nora tells Kevin that he can tell her anything, that she can deal with it, by instead telling her that he loves her rather than saying, I'm haunted by Patty, he is testing their trust and he's underestimating Nora. She could handle his insanity and possibly help him, but he keeps it to himself and continues to be haunted. This slightly supernatural world, it's like diet supernatural, it's it's two calories of supernatural, means that we see the clockwork that the characters cannot see. John Murphy burns down the home that Kevin and Nora were going to rent, so they buy the only house available, which is next to John's. When Paddy asks if Kevin is subservient to their story or the other way around... Well, we questioned that as well, because we started this season with the Murphys. It does feel like their season, even though we're finally with the characters we know and love. Is Paddy really there, or is Kevin going mad? 
Kevin not only sleepwalks, but attempts to kill himself. Once again, he's still trying to escape his life. But is it an act of God or an environmental coincidence that saves him by making the water disappear? What about the old man who wanders up to Kevin and tells him he can help with his problem? What problem is he talking about? Does he know about Kevin's problem? We'll meet more of that character soon, but for now, just know that his name is Virgil, which is the name of the Roman poet who famously wrote the Aeneid. That epic focuses on Aeneas, who constantly wavers between his emotions and commitment to prophetic duty. Virgil is also the guide through hell and purgatory in Dante's Divine Comedy. Keep that in the back of your head. But for now, Kevin is hiding in the shadows with only a shade to keep him company, in a place that he had hoped might be paradise, but is already beginning to fall apart. It turns out you can move physically, but your problems are never far behind. Okay, let's get into the squid bits. Only a few for this episode. Uh, The montage of Kevin digging up Paddy's body to the Pixies' Where Is My Mind is a deliberate tip of the hat to the song's use in David Finch's Fight Club. Some of the people seen... Oh, and Fight Club stars Brad Pitt and uh, Justin Theroux or Theroux uh, was also married to Rachel Green. I've drawn a blank on her name. I just had this thought then. This means nothing. It doesn't matter. It was just something that I put together then. God, what's her name? I'm not going to look it up. I'm not going to look it up because I know it so well. I know you're yelling at me. I can hear you yelling at me, even though I'm recording this in the past. It's my present, but I can hear you. You know what? I'm going to keep going. This is a thing that I've been doing where I'm trying to remember things off the uh, off the top of my head rather than looking them up because it's kind of fun. It means you're using your brain and maybe I won't, I don't know, get Alzheimer's or something. Who knows how you get that? Anyway, whatever. This squid bits has gone off the fucking rails already, hasn't it? <laughs> um. Some of the people seen mulling about the entrance to the Miracle State Park include Hasidic Jews, African tribesmen, and the Barefoot People. Barefoot People are, of course, uh, created for this uh, TV series and book. So, interesting to see all of them. Looks like a lot of hippies as well. I'm guessing there's a lot of sage being burnt, right? Uh, What else? Uh, Jill and Tommy quote the final exchange between Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy in Trading Places. The policewoman tells Kevin to go home. So what does he do? He moves house. (laughs) She also tells him not to ruin his life, but he feels guilty for Paddy. So by letting him go, she kind of helps lead him in the direction of, you know, ruining his life. Uh, You literally have to cross a bridge to get into the town of Miracle. I thought that was kind of interesting. The title of the episode, A Matter of Geography, refers to the idea that those who departed were due to where they were situated, like an actual position. And then the crazy price for the house is 
uh, of course, inspired because of where the house is situated. Once again, it's all geography. And Kevin Senior is deciding Australia is the place to be. Aussie, Aussie, fucking Aussie. Uh, There's something interesting about John Murphy using fire to rid the town of people, and now Evie has disappeared at the moment. The water has gone. Uh, That's all very uh, elemental, isn't it? In the book, Tommy leaves a note with the baby that reads, This little girl has no name. Please take good care of her. Yet, on the show, he didn't leave a note. There'll be less of these kind of... Uh, comparisons to the book as we get further and further away from, uh, you know, that as a base. When Matt tells Nora, I'm glad you're here, that is also the title of the final chapter of the book. Jennifer Aniston, there we go, got it. Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) I just know there's... That you're shaking your fist at whatever you're doing. <laughs> You've all been going, Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Aniston. Oh, I got there. I got there. All right? So how about a gold star for this guy? <laughs> i got to be honest, I'm in a good mood. All right, that brings us to the end of another episode. Things are really heating up now. And if this is your first time watching The Leftovers, I am just so excited for you. I can't tell you how excited I am for you. So many good episodes coming up, and I reckon you can already feel the different vibe going on with this season. It's only two episodes in, but you I know it's obvious with the uh, opening credits, but yeah, it's great. I'll be back next week with more guests and another episode focusing on this wonderful TV show. If you have any spare time and would like to leave us a top review at Apple Podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much uh, for doing that. Let's finish with a quote from Margaret Qualley. Nothing ever goes to plan. As soon as you are okay with that, everything is much easier. Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) Until then. Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.